see you guys, and uh, it's great to be here. My name is Chad. If we haven't met, um, I'm a member here just like you, and uh, just get to participate, um, opening doors, and uh, Brian occasionally lets me preach, so it's, uh, it's great to be here. And let me just take as just um, somebody who has been part of God's Not Done Yet, and um, just somebody that just volunteers time around here like many of you, I just want to take an opportunity um, just as a privilege um, for us just to recognize Brian, Doug, Trace, Rachel, and Hunter, Mark back there, countless volunteers who have gone well beyond um, what their normal responsibility is to put in so many hours, countless tireless hours of work to prepare and get all of this done. I know that they didn't drip pull hammers and things like that, but they did a whole lot of work. So let's just thank them for all of that. And they would be the last to say that they need any type of honor or praise for that. But man, Brian, just on behalf of everybody that's here and taking a part of this, thanks for all of your tireless work, man. It's incredible. Um, well, this morning, I don't know about you, but I get excited about Easter week. Uh, I, I just get excited. I, I think of uh, really, even today, it kind of kicks off. It's Palm Sunday, uh, and, and we kick off Palm Sunday and go up till Easter. And it's just a week for us to be able to reflect, for us to be able to just look at and reflect on the promise of hope of Jesus who rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on Palm Sunday and spent time in Jerusalem. And during that week, of course, we know that he was arrested. Oh, let there be light. I, I wondered if anybody was out there. So I just, like I saw Brian and that was it. Um, so Jesus was arrested. He was crucified, he was put into this tomb and buried, and yet we know that that wasn't the end, right? All upon this promise of hope, and just as we sang, and in the words of an old pastor, S.M. Lockridge, he said this, we know this, that was Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sundays, that's, that's, I don't, I know we're not that type of church, but that's kind of an amen right there. Like, Sunday's coming, all right? And that's something to get excited for. Man, Sunday is coming when death was arrested and hope was delivered once and for all. For all of us. For all of us. And so as we just continue this series that we've been looking at, these questions of Jesus that Jesus asked, and how those questions really impacted the disciples at that time and how those questions impact us today, uh, we're going to continue that series and we're going to look at a question today around worry. So before we jump in and we look at that, I, I, I want to just kind of think through um, and, and I want us to kind of get our minds around something. So I've got a question for you. So kids, I know there's lots of kids and we're so thankful. Parents, don't stress out, all right? Whatever they do, it's okay, all right? So just don't stress, all right? So kids, raise your hand, kids. Everybody raise your hand if you're elementary age in that group. Awesome. All right, kids, how many of you like to scare your parents? Do y'all like to scare your parents? Is that something you like to do? Like, I mean, just kids, right? I mean, like you like to jump over from the couch or behind a door and just boo scare your parents? Parents, you love that, don't you? No, you're like, I don't love that. I personally like a good scare. I, I like a good scare. I, I just, you know, I'm not that kind of guy that likes to be scared, but 
I like a good, you know, kind of jump scare. In fact, uh, my wife and I will, you know, we'll go on a date or we'll be going somewhere, and I usually get into the car sooner than her, waiting on her, all right? It's just one of those things. And as she comes around the front of the car, yep, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm honking. Inevitably, what does she do? She's jumping. You know, I just like to do that. Some of y'all are judging me because I do that, but listen, I like to do that. I like to jump scare. I'll stand behind a door, wait on somebody to come through, and just like give them a little scare. I, I just kind of like that. But what, is, what does that do usually? I mean, it elicits some type of physiological response, doesn't it, in us? Like, for some of you, you're ready to fight. You're, like, you're flailing. You're, like, swinging. Some of you scream bloody murder. You say things you shouldn't say. There's, I mean, some of you run. I mean, it elicits a physiological response in us. So when we're scared, when we kind of get that, oh, you know, about us, there's something that happens. So let me, let me do this. Let's, let's play with some words, all right? So think of these, these things and just kind of, like, what does it bring about? All right, spiders. Oh, right here. Oh, like, that's spiders. Like, that's, that's one of those. Raise your hand if you're like, you just hate spiders. This is like one of those. All right, so, you know, like, there's, I don't like, I don't really get scared of spiders. It's one of those, it's just, I don't know. I mean, just think, I can squish it. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's done. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, it's not going to get me. Now, let's go to snakes. Anybody like snakes? Oh, yeah, like snakes. Like, if, if you're even thinking about a snake, some of y'all are like, mm, that messed me up right there. Snakes, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to be around them necessarily, but I'm not super scared of snakes. All right, let's go to heights. Heights? Yeah, there we go, heights. Some of y'all, y'all sitting up in the high section. So heights, like, I don't know about you, if you've seen Free Solo, I sweat through that whole movie. Just stressing, because he's way up there. Now, I'm the kind of guy, like, I can come, like, this doesn't, this is not bad. Like, but if this was really high I'm gonna sit back here I can look at it from here now, the people that get all up to the edge and they're like this right here that's just foolishness like what are you doing don't do that that's how people die we read about you don't do that that's just a little adds a little worry concern anxiety in my life um what about needles anybody like needles oh there we go yeah some needles dentists but yeah there we go there we go. My daughter, I think she would rather just be put to sleep to even go get her teeth cleaned, like, like dentist. Like, mm -mm. Uh, blue lights in your rear view. Mm, there we go. That's a little bit of stress and worry in your life, doesn't it? Speaking in front of a crowd. Yeah, there we go. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's always anxiety, even in front of crowds, you know, my, about my whole adult life. And you always kind of get that anxiety. So there's these things that we kind of go through life with, and we get anxious. There's a little concern. There's, there's even fear. Whether they're rational or irrational, they're there. They're real to us at times. But we don't go through life, like, looking for snakes around every corner, spiders, or, you know, the dentist chair. I mean, that's, you know, they come on occasion. But there are real-life things that create worry in our lives, isn't there? There's real-life things that create anxiety for us. There's things that are in today or even in the future that we look at and we go, oh, how are we going to handle these? How are we going to get through these? And that worry or anxiety just kind of wells up. And usually they're around three different categories. It's either financial, relational, or health-related. 
There's a whole lot of other things, but we can kind of put them in those three categories for the most part. Other times there's, you know, so irrational, it's like I don't even have a category, but for most part, when we're thinking about our own lives, we're thinking of those three categories. Let me read you a few of those that, that may resonate with you, and I hope that they don't create concern or even anxiety. But some financial, we may ask those questions, do I have enough money this month? Do I have enough to pay that bill? Do I have enough to get the kids through college or into school that they want to? Do I have enough to retire? So financially, we look at it even through our, our job security. Will I keep my job? Will I get that job? Will I land that contract? Will I, will I make sure that that sale goes through? Will I be appreciated for that? Relationally, will they like me? Will she say or he say yes if I ask? Is it, you know, is my relationship going well? Will I be a good part of the team? So even relationally, we have these things that come about. Um, some others is, will I pass that test? I used to ask that a lot in school. Um, will I get into the college that I want? Will I make my parents happy? Will I be successful? And as parents, we're worried about our kids. Will they be successful? Will they kind of, you know, go their own path? And will I, they be in my basement when they're 30? You know, those kind of questions. Um, so what about even with our health? Will I get that disease that runs in the family? Or maybe will that come back again that I've already beaten once? And so all of those things, those are pressures and worries and cares of this life that we have to struggle with and that we deal with that creates anxiety in us. And what I want to do this morning, I want to look at how Jesus addressed this and even how it affected him. And then we're going to look at Paul. And Paul had a little solution that he offered through a prayer. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead, Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, and we're going to dive in and look at a passage where Jesus was teaching. Luke records this, Matthew records it a little bit differently in the Sermon on the Mount. But even the heading in my Bible, it's how Jesus deals with anxiety. So Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Words are going to be on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, um, we do offer Bibles. I think that they're probably out in the lobby, right, Brian? You can go get one later. Um, but let's look at it. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. And here's Jesus' first question. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? It was a rhetorical question. Jesus didn't give time. He didn't say, all right, audience feedback, y'all talk to me. and give him time for that. Jesus moved along, and look what he said. He said, and if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? And the interesting thing here is, here are people who worry about their food and their clothing, and he says those are little things. And there's greater things. There's bigger things that you can be worried about. So don't worry about these little things. Look at it. He says, look at the lilies and how they grow. 
They don't work or make their clothing, yet King Solomon, who had all of this great wealth and everything and all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And the second question here, why do you have so little faith? And I'm sure at this point there's a little pause. And I want us to pause because this is a penetrating question. This is an introspective question that goes deep into our own soul and spirit of why do I have so little faith? And Jesus is going to push forward with this and he says, don't be concerned about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. And then he sets it up, and this is how he addresses it. And he says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything that you need. He's going to give you everything that you need if you seek the kingdom of God above all else. So don't worry. Don't worry about all these little things. Don't even worry about the big things. But let me kind of juxtapose this and say, here's what you need to do. You need to seek the kingdom of God above all, above all else. So what does that look like? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? So just as a, I don't even know if this is going to make sense, but the, seeking the kingdom of God, you ever, you, one of you kids, you know, in here, you're trying to reach that cookie up on the shelf. You just can't reach it. It's up there and, and you're, they're tiptoes and they're trying to reach that cookie. And they can't get that cookie. Yet the adult comes along and says, oh, I can reach the cookie. Pulls the cookie and gives it to the kid. Seeking the kingdom of God for us is reaching out and striving and straining with all that we have to pursue something that is greater than what this world offers. Pursuing something that will satisfy a whole lot more than what this world promises. Pursuing something that is finer. Pursuing something that you will provide for you. And what we tend to do is we're looking for the provision instead of looking at the providence. And God say and seek first the kingdom of God, that's the providence of God, that he's going to take care of you. Many times we're looking for the fruit, and now we're going back to the root. Like there's a foundation, there's something within the substance of who God is that we've got to pursue if he's going to give us what we need. And so it's seeking first the kingdom of God, and then what God says is, I'm going to give you what you need. Now, sometimes our needs don't line up with what God thinks we need and what he delivers. We think we need something, and it's completely different than what God delivers, according to his riches and glory. And so as Jesus is dealing with this, and he's talking to them about this, he's saying, hey, here's what you need to do. Now, let's look at it from the perspective of Paul. So there's a verse in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, and we're going to look at it. As Paul was writing the Philippian church, these people were dealing with real-life issues themselves. I mean, they, were, they had anxiety and worry. They, they were looking at life and going, okay, I'm persecuted to the point of death. We're, we're impoverished. I don't know how we're going to make it. And in Paul, in his letter, he writes them and he says this. Look at it in 4 verse 6 of Philippians. <clears throat> don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Really? Really, Paul? That's what you got. 
I mean, just think about it. That's my response, even today, when I read that verse, honestly. Like, don't worry about anything. That's, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to worry about anything, and I'm supposed to be praying about everything. I mean, come on, God. You, you don't know what I'm going through. You, you don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what is happening in my world. And here is Paul saying, don't worry about anything. All right, got you, Paul. This is good stuff. I have to trust you here. I'm sure that's what the Philippians are doing. But when you go back and you look at this verse, and you look at the context of this verse, and y- y'all remember tape decks? Y- y'all remember those? I mean, those were things. Remember eight tracks? Oh, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are like, I, I remember the things you had to wind up, you know? That kind of it. Listen, for those who remember eight tracks, like if you go back, do y'all remember the KJV version? Uh, like some of y'all are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. There's this old version of the Bible, like you have modern versions. It's called the King James Version, all right? So the King James Version was written in old, old English, and it's really hard to understand. So therefore, we kind of transition, and like we've got new versions that speak more modern language. But if you go back to the King James Version of this, guess what it says? Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. All right, question. If you are prideful, you are full of, there we go. All right. If you're hateful, you're full of, if you're careful, you're full of, how about that? So what this passage in the reference is, is he's saying, be careful for nothing. Now, our word of careful is, it's a little cautious. We're a little timid. We're just going to kind of make sure we don't get to the edge. We're going to look that, you know, that's being careful. But the root of the word in scripture here is saying you are being full of care. So Paul is telling them, he's talking to the Philippians and saying, hey, don't allow anything to capture all of your attention. He's saying, listen, you can't have a life where you are just completely full of care. He said, you can care, but you can't be full of care. Where it incapacitates you, it immobilizes you, it paralyzes you. And that's what worry, what Jesus is looking at is when Jesus was preaching and he's saying, hey, I want you to care about things. I'm not saying don't care about things. Like having clothes on is good. Having food in your stomach is good. Care about that. I care about that for all of us, all right? So care, but you can't allow yourself to be full of care where it controls you. So as Jesus is saying this, And you're trying to figure out, all right, so what is the line? Because some of you deal with anxiety in a real-life way. Some of you, it's debilitating. Some of you, you've had to seek help for that. And, And so when you look at it and say, okay, what's the line of like this idea where it controls me and it fills me to a point where I just can't do it and I can't move forward or it stresses me to the point where I just don't know what I'm going to do, what's the line between that and just having anxiety and worry in a moment that you deal with and you move on. So what is that line? So let me help us kind of think through that. So going back to this week in the life of Jesus, Jesus was arrested. Prior to Jesus' arrest, Jesus went in, he did the Passover meal with the disciples. So the Passover meal was happening. They, they, they did that. They washed feet. Jesus, or Judas left, and Jesus said, I need to go pray. And so Jesus left to pray, Luke chapter 6, verse 41, it says this, he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, 
you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I mean, there was something deep. I think Jesus dealt with anxiety at a level that we never will deal with. He said this, Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed even more fervently. So Jesus, praying, he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. So Jesus, in this moment, dealing with this level of anxiety, that he sweat drops of blood. Tell me that's not worry. Tell me that's not anxiety. I don't know about you, but I don't know many people that sweat drops of blood. There is a condition for that, medical condition, but I'm just going to say, in our stress and worry, we may sweat a little bit, we may just kind of, our breathing gets elevated, and it, we may stress a little bit, but we're not sweating drops of blood. Jesus is dealing with this. And it wasn't so much that he's worried about getting beaten and flogged and crucified and buried. He knew what the outcome of that was. What this cup of suffering is referring to, this cup of suffering is referring to the fact that Jesus knew that he was about to be separated from the Father and take all of this world's, the sins of the world upon himself and have the weight of that on him. And so Jesus is looking at it going, God, if there is any other way, if there is any other way, please take this away. But I don't, it's your will. It's not my will. It's yours. And so Jesus, in that moment, think about it. He did not let that control him. He did not let that consume him, immobilize him, paralyze him. Because what he could have done in that, stand, in that moment, in that situation, Jesus could have escaped. He, and through the cover of night and those trees and those hills, he could have walked out never to be seen again. He could have announced his role and, and title as Messiah and just left and said, man, I, I'm not going through this. I know what's about to come. I'm not going to do that. But Jesus didn't do that. He did not allow that to control him. And when it controls us, guess what? We don't make great decisions. When it controls us, we lose wisdom. When it controls us, we move from this point of saying, all right, God, you're in control, but I I'm just going to try to figure out how I can be in control. There's a great old theologian who said this about worry. That worry tears the heart apart and makes a man quite incapable of doing the wise thing or seeing the wise thing to do in the circumstances. See, when we choose to hold on to what we worry about, and our life and our world gets so full of care, and it consumes us, that becomes the line between I can worry about this and I can be anxious about this in this moment, and the line is when, it choose, when we choose to allow it to control us, that becomes that line. So it becomes that point of we look at it and we say, all right, God, how do we move forward? What does it look like? How do we provide a solution to this? And Paul's solution, if we'll look at it, of what, what it looks like to not worry and keep that balance of care versus being full of care, is this. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, in other versions, it says, but. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. 
that word in there, that but, that conjunction is awesome. Because usually when you see a conjunction in scripture, God's about to show up. It's like, all right, but God. And we see that all throughout scripture. Conjunctions many times in scripture are this theological link between thinking right and doing right. And so Paul offers this conjunction. Don't worry about anything, but. And so there's this great juxtaposition, right? Hey, don't worry. Like, this is something you need to not do, but here's something you need to do. It's going to counteract this. So don't worry, but. And this prayer that Paul's offering in 4.6, it's not some kind of good religious, like, hey, God, get me out of here. How can I escape? Or some kind of Hail Mary prayer. This is a prayer that just where it boils down to where God knows and he cares for you. Points back to what Jesus was saying, hey, God cares. He cares for you. He cares for your body. He cares for what you're going to eat. He cares for all of those little things about us. And Paul points to this, and he gives us four things that we can take action on in this prayer. And I want to walk through those four things. There's one that I'm just pulling out, but there's three within the prayer. The first one is to see every situation as an opportunity to invite God to be in control versus you. All right? See every situation as an opportunity to invite God to be in control versus you or me. So think about your situations throughout the day. There's countless situations, there's countless opportunities where you're looking at it and saying, all right, do I be, am I in control here or can I invite God into this? I mean, every situation. Usually it's the big situations, the things that will stress us out, and we're going to invite. But look for every situation. Paul said pray about everything. Everything. Take it to God. See, the thing is, is that you can't bug God. God's not up in heaven going, oh my gosh, for real? Like, you're, gonna, you're wearing me out about this? Like, really, we're going to talk about this again. God, that's not God's heart, his attitude, his posture. God's looking at it going, Come on, talk to me. Bring it to me. This is a situation. This is an opportunity. Bring it on. Let's talk about this. That same theologian, he said this, which is a really good point. He says, if a, great, if, if a thing is great enough to threaten to make me anxious, it is great enough for me to talk to God about. So consider, what are the situations that you need to invite God into and talk to him about? The second one is this. Ask God for what we need. Ask God for what we need. Say it this way. If we're too ashamed to ask God for what we need, then that need will be the shame of us. If we're too ashamed to ask God, whether it's courage, whether it's strength, whether it's a a financial need, whatever it may be, if we're too ashamed to ask God for that, then that shame or that need will be the shame of us. If we're too busy to spend time just saying, hey, God, I need to take a moment. I need this. To be bold and ask him, then we're going to miss the favor of God. So ask God for what we need. Number three, have a thankful heart. Have a thankful heart. Our worry and our anxiety usually focuses on the what's, ifs, and the what's to come. 
So we're always concerned about, oh, God, just, if this happens, then all of a sudden this is going to, and I, I just can't imagine if that goes that direction. And we're worried so much about all of the things that in the future that you have zero control over. And Paul is saying, have a thankful heart. Because here's what's happened. Here's what happens. If you look at the future and you get all worried and you compare it to the past, guess what happens? The future worries and anxieties that you can stir up in your heart and mind, guess what? They're quieted by the faithfulness of God in your past. God has been faithful to you. You are sitting here. You have everything that you need. He has given above and beyond. I can look back, and I know that you can too, in my life, and that is one of my favorite words and favorite um, attributes of God is his faithfulness. We sing about it. God is faithful. He has done for you in the past, and he is going to bring you through. And guess what? Your future, your worries, what you have in mind, all the what's and what ifs and what's to come. Have a thankful heart for what he's done, what he's given you today. That's what Paul is saying. Have that thankful heart. And number four, number four is this. Give God space to be God. Give God space to be God. Brian has talked about it, man, as we think about all of the things and the questions that Jesus asked and how those questions really elicited and what they elicited in individuals. You had to give God space to be God. You had to give God space. Jesus standing on the bow of the boat and saying, hey, quiet, peace be still. You had to give Jesus a chance to say, I'm going to multiply these fish and loaves. You had to give Jesus a chance to walk to the guy at the pool and say, take up your mat and follow me. So we have to give God a chance and space to be God in our lives. We can't hurry God. We can't slow him down. All that we can do is look and say, God, you are in control. I'm going to give you the space to be in control. Because I know when I try to control something, it's out of control. God, I'm going to give you your space to be God. And sometimes what that looks like, it's finding rest. It means taking time and finding rest in him. You know, there's studies and research out there that those who actually practice a Sabbath, a day of rest, are healthier and happier for the, than those who do not. Those who rest in the goodness and faithfulness of God, who give him actual space. I received a text this past week from a friend of mine, and, and the text said this. It was interesting, and I pulled it into this because I feel like it deals with giving space or giving God space to be God. It said this, I took all the social media apps off of my phone, and I logged out of Twitter since it was on my browser and not an app. So no social media connections for a while. The news out of Nashville is too much, and I have to protect my heart right now. That's someone finding rest. Someone who's looking at the craziness and the madness of this world and saying, I can't. It doesn't do my heart well. What is it in your world that you just kind of need to give space for God to be God? Where then you can look and say, God, you've been faithful. And I thank you for that. That you can then go to God in such a way, in such a posture. Kneel in humble submission to the one who is in control, who cares about you deeply. 
saying, God, I'm seeking first your kingdom. Please give me what I need. Let me close with this verse in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 7 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. At the right time. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. God doesn't want us to wallow in our worry. He doesn't want us to be controlled by the cares of this world. And it's easy to say that. It's hard to live it out. I don't know about you, it's difficult. I have worries. I I can worry about things. I can take things and and they just kind of like enter in and I play the what if game and man if that happens and that's going to happen and that dominoes and you know it comes to the point of like I just have to back up and I have to admit this truth God cares about me can I say it to you that God cares about you he cares about you He cared so much about all of us that he sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice to take care of the sin and the mess of my life. That if I put trust and faith in him, then guess what? Man, he's going to level the playing field before God. He can make right my relationship with him. So maybe today you're here and you've never even heard that. God cares for you in such a way that he sent Jesus to die for you that he can give you new life in him that he can give you a new perspective a new relationship with the God who cares so deeply about you and also God cares about your everyday worry he cares about the financial situation you're in right now he cares about the relationship situation the stress of like are we going to make it What's going to happen to the kids? Am I going to be all right? He cares about that. How do you take that to him? How do you give space for God to be God? Can I pray for us this morning as we close out? Father, in your providence, in your foresight, you saw fit that we needed Jesus. We needed the hope that he delivered, the finality of all that he gave on the cross, and the death that was taken and stripped in his resurrection. What hope there is in Jesus. God, you care for us that much. So God, may we seek first your kingdom. May we seek you and invite you to every situation. May we give you all the things that we need and put those before you. May we have a thankful heart. 
recognizing your faithfulness in the past and may we give you space to be God because you care for us. So God, may whatever you're doing in our lives right now, whatever prayer that we need to pray before you right now, whatever decision that we need to make and commitment that we need to make to you, God, may you give us the courage, the strength, the grace, the compassion, the space to do that. So Father, in your time and your space, God, would you just speak to our hearts right now? in Jesus' name.